In the summer of 1999, two significant events happened in my life. First, a girl smiled at me, (laughs) which was pretty unique in my experience. Um, Second, that same girl was in a photo with me. And of course, those two events were significant because that girl became my wife. But there's a problem, for me anyway. To my continual shame and disgrace, I don't remember either of those events. (laughs) Two years later, through some crazy connections, Jessica and I were reintroduced And she remembers meeting me and smiling at me and taking a picture with me. And she has the physical evidence of that photo. (laughs) But I don't remember. I was completely unaware of the significance of what was happening in my life in the summer of 1999. And I propose that most of us live life that way. We live life unaware of the significant things that are happening around us, of the significant things that are going on in our daily lives. The grind of going to class, going to work, getting kids to school, making dinner, doing dishes, in bed and up again the next day doing it all over again. We think all of those are insignificant things, but God doesn't. And the book of Ruth awakens us to the significance of the ordinary. It awakens us to the meaning of what happens in our lives every day. And it does this by connecting our lives to God's vision for humanity and the world. It connects our daily lives to God's vision for humanity and the world. And so I want to look at this final section of Ruth, and I want to consider that statement in two parts. We'll look at God's vision for the world and humanity, and our connection to it. Okay, so first, God's vision. As Boaz takes on the role of the Redeemer, we talked about this last week, he addresses two practical concerns. Food and babies. Okay? Um, He says to his community, to these men at the gate, he says, I am taking Naomi and all of the land that is connected to her family, which is an issue of food. That is how Naomi would be fed and provided for. Okay? So he takes care of food. And then second, he says, I am taking Ruth the Moabite as my wife. Okay? And, and why does he say he's taking her as his wife? Is it because she's hot? No. What does he say? He says, I'm taking her as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead. Babies. Alright? Now, both of these things would be major concerns to anyone in the ancient world. Okay? Um, food, that's obvious, right? We're still concerned about that today. And so Boaz is providing food for Naomi, for Ruth, into the future. Babies, maybe not as obvious, uh, but the perpetuation of the name of the dead addresses two things. First of all, it keeps the land in the family, so the family has the food that they need even after the ancestors are dead. Okay? 
And then second, it speaks to the desire for immortality. It speaks to the problem of death. Ancient people valued children because they had the hope that those children would continue the name of their family even after they're dead. That something that they did in their life would continue into the future and life wasn't just about being born and dying. But it it meant something more. And so they were very concerned about perpetuating their name. And that exists to some extent even in traditional cultures today. My grandpa was very concerned that my brother and I took a long time to get married and have children because we had the Robson name, right? And he wanted to see great-grandbabies with the Robson name and know that that name continues. Still a concern with some people today. So when Boaz does this, I would expect his community to say, wow, Boaz, he's a great guy. He's a stand-up guy. He is taking care of business. He is providing for his family. But is that what his community says? No, if you keep reading, the community, instead of saying that, they start to talk about the book of Genesis. Right? They say, you're bringing Ruth into your home. We hope that she's like Leah and Rachel, who were the wives of Jacob, the, the mothers of the twelve tribe of Israel. We want her to be like them. And then they talk about Perez, who was uh, the son of Judah. We want you to be like that. We want you to be like our ancestors that we read about in the book of Genesis. Why? Why do they not just congratulate Boaz and say, hey, you're a stand-up guy. Why do they talk about Genesis? Well, remember, all of these people here and all the people they're talking about from the book of Genesis are descendants of Abraham. And remember that God came to Abraham and He created a relationship with he and his family. It's called a covenant. And in that covenant, God guaranteed two things. Food and babies. He said, I'm going to give you a land, which is meaning I'm going to give you a way for you to have wealth and have what you need. And He said, I'm going to give you more descendants than the sand of the sea. Babies. And so the community of Boaz and Naomi and Ruth, they look at what is happening in their lives. And they say, you're a part of that story. What is happening here is an expression of the covenant that God made with Abraham. It's not just an everyday event that happens all the time. It is an expression of the guarantees that God made to Abraham and to his family. And why does that matter? It matters because the guarantee of food and babies is a result of a previous commitment that God had made. God had said to Abraham, I am going to bless you, and through you I am going to bless all the nations of the world. Now we have to be careful with the word bless. Because, I don't know, when I hear the word bless, I hear uh, the older women uh, in my life growing up saying, Oh, bless your heart, right? It's like, what does that mean? You know, it sounds a little bit aggressive and uh, I don't don't know how to, it's a little bit condescending. I don't know how to take that. Well, when God blesses someone, He empowers them to live life as it was meant to be lived. 
When God blesses someone, He enables them to be fully human as they were created to be. Why do I say that? Because Abraham wasn't the first time God blessed someone. Adam and Eve was the first time God blessed someone. He made them, He put them in the garden, and He blessed them. He gave them life as it was meant to be. And of course, sin messed that up. But God's intention to bless did not change. He raised up Abraham and He said to Abraham, Through you, I am going to bring back life into the world. And think about what happens in the book of Ruth. Naomi, who was dead. Walking death, we talked about in that first chapter. She's brought from emptiness to fullness. She is brought into life And not only Naomi, who was a descendant of Abraham, but Ruth, who was a descendant of Moab, not a descendant of Abraham. And understand, Moab came from Lot, who was Abraham's nephew. And there was a rift between them. And Lot went off, he went a different direction. And through an incestuous relationship, fathered two sons. And one of those sons became the ancestor of Moab. Of Ruth. So what happens in the book of Ruth? This girl who is from a mess of a family is taken from death into life. From emptiness into fullness. What happens here is not just Boaz taking care of business. What happens is an expression of God's commitment to bring life back into His creation. The story of Boaz and Ruth and Naomi was a part of a larger story. Their lives participated in God's vision to bring life into the world. And you were made to participate in that same vision. Professor at seminary says, This is why you breathe. You were created to bring life into the world. And that doesn't mean we all need to get married, have a lot of children, and become farmers. Alright? The vision of blessing in Scripture encompasses all of our human experience. It takes everything we do and says all of these things are an opportunity to bring life into the world. So studying and parenting and working... All of those things, an opportunity to be a part of God's vision to bring life into His creation. Now we hear that and we think big. We think to do that, to participate in God's vision, we need to do something dramatic, like move to Africa, say. Alright? Okay? We think we have to do something major. But think about Boaz. He doesn't wake up and say, I'm going to save the world. He wakes up and he shows up to work. He shows up to work in chapter 2 in a faithful, faith-filled way. Seeking to bless those who work for him. And that puts him in connection with Ruth. And he blesses her. And it explodes out into this beautiful story. He didn't wake up saying, I want to save the world. He woke up and said, I want to be faithful to God's design in my life today. And think about Ruth showing up to that same field. 
she didn't say she didn't wake up saying I'm going to save the world. She woke up just saying we need to survive. We have to get enough food not to starve. But as they go about their very ordinary life, God does his extraordinary work of redemption and renewal. The rise of, of sites like YouTube and other social media video sites has, has given rise to a, a popular trend. And it's this trend of flash mobs. Have you seen these? Where in uh, some commonplace, these people will plan together and at that commonplace they'll come together and they'll do a dance or they'll sing a song. Uh, my favorite is the one where it's a, it's a shopping mall. It's the food court of a shopping mall. And it's at Christmas time and everybody's going about their Christmas shopping and eating lunch. And people start singing and all of a sudden there's this massive choir singing the Alleluia Chorus in the middle of this shopping mall. And I think that trend speaks to a desire that we have. It is the desire that our mundane life would be touched with beauty. A desire to find something significant in our ordinary, common lives. And that's what God does in the book of Ruth. And that's what He wants to do with your life. Is He wants to take your mundane and make it beautiful. He wants to make you a part of His vision to bring life into the world. Do you see your weak with that kind of potential? As you look into this week of waking up and going to work and getting the kids to school and going to class and studying and spending time with your friends and talking with your family, do you see it as an opportunity to bring life into the world? Because that was what you were made for. That is what you are created for. That is why you breathe. Now that sounds like an overstatement, doesn't it? To say that as I go about my boring week, that something that major can happen. Uh, It reminds me kind of of the old jokes about beauty pageants, that no matter what the question is, the answer is world peace. So, you know, if you went to McDonald's tonight, what would you order? Oh, world peace, right? Um, And that's what this feels like. Oh, you're saying when I go to McDonald's, I participate participating in this plan to bring peace to the world. It seems ridiculous. It seems like an overstatement. How can I say that? How can Scripture say that? What is the connection between God's vision and our lives? How are we connected to that work, to that plan, to that purpose? Well, to answer that question, I think we need to take a look at Naomi. And we need to remember Naomi's journey. And we need to remember that Naomi was profoundly disconnected from God's vision at the beginning of Ruth. Do you remember that? She was out of the land. She, was, she lost all of these significant names. She loses all of those names at the beginning of the book. Her husband and her two sons. And then at the end of chapter 1, she not only loses names, but she changes her own name. She says, I'm no longer Naomi, which means pleasant or sweet. I am Mara, which means bitter. That is what my life is now. But do you see her journey? 
Do you see here at the end of Ruth? What do we have now? Her name did not stick, did it? We only hear Mara once in this book, and that's at the beginning. The women in her community still call her Naomi. And they say Naomi has a redeemer. She has a nourisher of life. She is not Mara, bitter. She is Naomi, pleasant and sweet. And not only does she keep that name, but the names that she loses are replaced. Right? The book of Ruth begins with a list of names and it ends with a list of names. God provides her replacement generations for the generations that she lost. And how does that happen? How does she make that journey? Verse 13, hugely important verse. Let me read it again. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord gave her conception. That's how she makes the journey from emptiness to fullness. God acts twice in the book of Ruth, directly. At the beginning it says He gives the harvest to the land. The end of the book, it says He, he opens Ruth's womb and allows her to conceive. Food, babies, alright? It's because of God's work opening the womb of Ruth that Naomi is moved from death to life. That Naomi is reconnected to God's vision. She is reintegrated into God's work, into His promises, through the birth of Obed. Now that's good for Naomi, but what about the rest of us? Well, I think it's important that we see Naomi as a symbol for the journey of God's people. She takes her own journey, but it's a picture of the journey of God's people. Remember that this book begins with the words, in the time of the judges. And remember that the time of the judges was a deeply disturbing time in the history of God's people. And we talked about how the book of Judges ends with this disturbing story of rape and genocide. And so just as Naomi was disconnected from God's vision, the people of Israel were disconnected from God's vision for the world. They were disconnected from that purpose of bringing life into the world because of their rejection of God, because of their rebellion, and because of their sin. That's how the book starts. But what happens in the book? Doesn't Bethlehem become a very different place than it was in the book of Judges? It's not a place of sexual perversion. It is a place of sexual fidelity. Remember chapter 3. It is not a place of violence. It is a place where widows are welcomed into a family and provided for and cared for. And then how does the book of Ruth end? The first word in the book of Ruth is in the time of the judges. What is the last word in the book of Ruth? It's in English and in Hebrew. It's David. You see, throughout the book of Judges, there's this refrain. It says, everyone did what was right in their own eyes, and there was no king in Israel. Now, what happens in Ruth? People aren't doing what's right in their own eyes anymore. They are doing what's right in God's eyes. And what does it lead to? There was no king in Israel. Now there is a king. 
if you follow the story of David, David is the hope of reconnecting the people of God to God's vision for their lives, of reconnecting them to this purpose of bringing life and blessing into the world. He is the hope of reconnection for the people of God, which is great for Naomi and it's great for ancient Israelites. But what about us? How are our lives connected to God's vision? Well, to answer that question, I'm going to have to begin my next sermon series, okay? Um, and I promise I'm not preaching another sermon here, but I do want you to turn over to me with me to the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to start a study of this book, well, right now in many ways, and then we'll be studying it throughout this year. Naomi is reconnected through Obed. Israel is reconnected through David. How are we reconnected? Matthew 1, verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, who? The son of David and the son of Abraham. Jesus came to bring us in to God's plan of blessing. He, His work through His life, death, and resurrection, is a work of reintegrating us into God's vision for our lives and the world. There's a concept in theater and film. It's called the fourth wall. And the idea is that uh, when someone's on stage telling a story or on a movie or a television show, there are three walls. There's walls on the side and walls on the back. And then there's a fourth invisible wall. And it's the separation between the actors and the audience. And sometimes, playwrights and people who write movies will break the fourth wall. They'll write something that connects what is happening on stage with the audience. Uh, Shakespeare does this, and Scrubs does it as well. You know the, the, uh, the, the sitcom Scrubs? They address the camera, right? They break the fourth wall. Okay? This is what Jesus does with the book of Ruth. We observe in the book of Ruth this gorgeous story of resurrection, of being moved from death to life, of people participating in God's vision for the world. And Jesus comes to break through the fourth wall, to connect us to that drama, to bring the drama and beauty of redemption into our lives. He is our connection to God's vision. He is the one who takes our mundane and makes it beautiful. He is the one who reintegrates us into God's vision for bringing life and blessing into the world. I don't know if this week something as significant as meeting your future spouse will happen to you. But here's what I can tell you. If you are in Jesus, you live at the intersection of the epic and the everyday. The epic story of God's redemption and the everyday dullness of your daily life. And Jesus connects those two things. And so as you go about your week, He wants to do significant things in you and through you. Will you let Him wake you up? Will you let Him train you 
to see the opportunities that He presents you to bring blessing to the world around you. Let's pray.